Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Super Givers Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, father, partner, personal revolution coach, and aspiring super giver myself. Today we have an exciting interview with a self-identifying feminist geek. From her background as a creative and educator, Darcy Clausen has created an inspiring project called Girls Are Heroes, which seeks to provide both resource and education for parents and educators on the promotion of positive female role models in pop culture. In this discussion, Darcy demonstrates how she herself used the right blend of inspiration, creativity, and courage to formulate a personal and incredibly useful form of service. In my opinion, you don't have to identify as female to benefit from what Darcy has to share. In fact, men may get served by this interview very powerfully. And men and women who happen to be parents of girls? Darcy's personal journey to create Girls Are Heroes could be invaluable in your pursuit of raising an empowered woman. Darcy Clausen, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, well, why don't we just jump into really giving people a sense of who you are and what you're up to in the world? Um, okay. <laughs> so, who I am, uh, to start there, I'm a longtime educator. I started out in uh, K 12 education with an emphasis in art. But I've also been all over within that. Um, and I have a private school and a public school background. Um, in addition to teaching in um, areas like uh, community centers, nonprofit organizations, um, things like that. Basically, wherever the kids are at and wherever they're doing creative things, that's kind of where my work took me. And um, since then, I had transitioned fully into nonprofit work uh, with uh, managing uh, the outreach program with the Girl Scouts of Colorado. And that was a really great experience and where I got the idea to start this latest project, which is called Girls Are Heroes. Yeah. Tell, tell us about it. Um, so it's new <laughs> and, uh, it's funny saying new because it definitely has been incubating for quite a while. Uh, I've been in the education field and the nonprofit field going on 11 plus years now. Um, and, but this is, has been two years in the making girls are heroes has been, and it started with a call for panelists and workshops with the Denver Comic-Con, which Denver, in Denver, Colorado, their Comic-Con is a really unique uh, thing. It's a really unique organization. Um, lots of cons of its type um, focus on pop culture or comic books or movies or sometimes Japanese animation, also known as anime, and they're just very specific and very commercially commercially driven. It's about selling products and you know hyping your new movie, things like that. Um, the Denver Comic Con, however, is a nonprofit. It's a five hundred one c three, and they actually function as a fundraiser. It's basically a massive three day fundraiser that funds their project called Pop Culture Classroom or their company called Pop Culture Classroom. And that is a literacy education outreach program where they go into schools, public schools, especially low socioeconomic schools or at-risk schools. They go into correctional facilities and they 
teach literary um, programs and reading programs and creative workshops to both adults and kids and kind of everywhere in between. And they connect comic book artists and writers and people in that industry to these populations to host these workshops. And so the Denver Comic-Con is very special and near to my heart because it funds this amazing work that they do. So when they did an open call for workshops and panelists, I signed up immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kind of, I knew what I wanted to say. I knew that um, Girls or Heroes didn't really have a name or a title at all at that point. I just knew that having gone to their convention um, for, I think this was going to be my third or fourth year somewhere in there. Um, I just saw a real lack of programming for women and girls. And that is actually something that is lacking industry wide as far as comic book culture goes and pop culture in general. So it's not surprising that even such an amazing, you know, con like this one, like Denver Comic Con would be, um, that it would still be reflective of this lack of um, access for girls and women. So I knew that I wanted to do something around that. And there had been some big moves that year. Um, it was 2015 and there had been some big moves in the pop culture realm with, uh, you know, the Avengers had just come out and Deadpool had just come out and all of these really, really big, uh, oh my gosh. And they just, uh, DC had just like revamped Batman and the justice league. And, um, there were rumors of wonder woman, um, um, unsubstantiated rumors at that point, but there were rumors. And so there was just a lot happening that was like really splashy and big. And I had a lot to say about that. So I decided that the panel should be focused on, um, that female lens, like looking at comic books, looking at uh, pop culture through a female lens and just kind of having a conversation and doing a series of activities around positive representation and visibility for women and girls in pop culture. And I submitted the proposal and kind of, it was like a blackout moment a little bit. Like I wrote for like a day and a half straight and just submitted it without really a lot of editing and then had a, oh my gosh, moment afterwards. Um, like, <laughs> what if they say yes? Like, I have no idea You're what right. I, <laughs> what if they love it? What if they hate it? What if I never hear from them again? Like what then? Um, and there was a good like two and a half month period where it was just a total communication blackout. Um, and they kept extending their, uh, deadline for when they were going to get back to people. And I was just going crazy. But meanwhile, I was also working at the Girl Scouts of Colorado and I was just involved in this very supportive community and environment for women and girls, obviously. And I was, surrounded by these amazing coworkers. 
and who were also doing like were undertaking their own initiatives um, that were similar. And I had one coworker in uh, particular who she was hosting a series of her own workshops in the nonprofit realm and within the Girl Scout realm about uh, positive representation for girls and women. And it just really hit home. Hers was more broad. It went into a more political realm, I would say than anything else. And just, um, like in everyday life, like in real life. Um, and that was a huge inspiration, but I was getting input like that every day, every day of work was like that. And it was just so inspiring. So meanwhile, that was happening. And then this communication blackout, and then I got an email from uh, Denver comic-con saying that they absolutely loved everything. And they wanted me to do everything that I said I was going to do. And how did next month work? Mm. <laughs> so I had um like it was a little over a month, but uh, just a handful of weeks to pull everything together. And um, you know, I went into full panic mode. But uh, because of my supportive environment and the people I was working with, and just the people that I had known um, in general, uh, friends. Uh, in the Denver community and creative people in the Denver community, it actually pulled together really nicely. I uh, got in touch with this amazing animator. Her name's Sarah Jones, and she's a local Denver animator, and she's also a web designer. And so she helped me really focus the look and the overall branding and feel of what the workshop slash panel would look like. And from there, she helped me build a slide deck. Um, and I basically wrote a script because I couldn't just get up in front of people for 50 minutes and talk without a script. So I wrote the script and from there we built a deck and um, then I did lesson planning and activities and put that in there as well. Cause as an educator, that was my bliss area. And then it just kind of came together um, surprisingly. And I, the day of the con, they I thought I was going to be in some small room in the back corner where I would get like maybe 10 people because they have over at that time, they were pushing like over 100 to 200 plus hours of programming just within the education realm for their con for Denver Comic Con. And that's just education. There's all sorts of different tracks that you can take when you attend the con. So you can if you love celebrities, you know, there was like a hundred plus hours of celebrity stuff. If you love over this three, I think then it was actually a four day period. Um so there was just all these different avenues that people could go through. And even though it was really well attended, I thought I was going to get like 10 people because it was just so specific, but I show up and they put me in like, it was 250 person room. And there's like a big stage and a big podium and a huge screen and just a lot of empty chairs and I had to show up 30 minutes before to set up. And I, <laughs> that, that was um, kind of insane. And then um, still thinking there's going to be 10 people in this big room about 10 minutes before the panel, when we were setting up all the audio visual stuff, um, it just started filling up and filling up and filling up. And oh. 
<laughs> yeah. And um, it was a lot. So I would say the people that I worked with and the Girl Scouts in general, they did promote it on their website. And so there were a lot of um, scouting families there and co-workers and friends of co-workers. So that, I mean, that's just a testament to the amazing support that I got. And, you know, who they are as people. But um, there were just people that I had never seen before, never heard of before. There were people with microphones. There were people with cameras. It was um, really overwhelming. And the room wasn't full, full, but um, all the way to the back. There were people sitting from front to back. And, um, yeah, I just got up and did my thing. And uh, afterwards, there was about a good hour of uh, we had a really good time during, and we did some, um, my favorite activity is called think, pair, share, where, uh, basically I put questions. This is like an old teacher trick, but you put some questions to think about up on the board. And then you ask people to pair together with either groups or people next to them to talk about the questions. And then you come back and call on specific groups to share their opinions. And so we broke out into groups at one point and did that. And it was just the energy was so infectious. People like it was loud. It was like people just shouting in good ways because it was so loud. You had to shout to be heard with their groups and their partners and everyone was so happy and laughing. And then we had really good discussions afterwards. And then after the panel, um, there was a good hour where I was just like talking to people. People were like waiting in line to talk to me. And I met some amazing people that I asked to be since then asked to be on uh, this year's Comic-Con panel. So it was just this amazing networking opportunity. And, we established a website, uh, girlsareheroes.com, and which I was shocked that that um, URL wasn't taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I purchased it for like $15, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which was so surprising, and I'm going to hold on to it forever. And um, yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah. And, and before we hear about where you are right now with it, I just want to point out, one big takeaway that I hear in that is that you said yes to something that felt so intuitively right. And then you had what many of us might call a possibility hangover where you had, right. You had the reaction of, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? What if they say yes? In my experience so often holds people back from taking bold action that I want to, I only want to say yes if I have it all planned out and you had the courage to say yes without even knowing what was going to come from it. And in fact, that may have been the seed that helped create Girls Are Heroes, right? Yeah, that um, <laughs> that moment of uh, what if they say yes? That was um, that was a good like week of panicking, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because it was like going into the unknown. How did you first become awake to the importance of how women are represented in? media, pop culture, narratives? Good question. Complicated question. Um, I think that just by merit of uh, my identity, my gender identity, which I'm cisgendered, straight, uh, female, and uh, I 
you know, I can't help but be aware of these things. I think even from the time that I was aware of media as a kid, I was aware of these things. Um, I just didn't always have the language to articulate what I was feeling with the media that I was like what I was feeling about the media that I was consuming. Um, and through my undergrad, uh, learning to be a teacher that I would have to say would be the biggest one of one of the largest awakenings that I had because you are taught as an educator or you should be taught as an educator to be egalitarian where you need to treat every student uh, equally, uh, no matter where what their background is, where they're coming from. You have to make sure that they are getting an equal shot at their education. And of course, within that, it looks different um, for every student because equality doesn't always look the same. But it's something that they train you and drill into you pretty hard about how to conduct an egalitarian classroom, a fair classroom, because the moment that your your inherent bias is leaking into that classroom, you're robbing a student of their education. And when you think of like, this is a very important time in their lives, this is their only shot to be a fifth grader, you know, um, or one of their only shots to be a fifth grader or one of their only shots to be like a senior in high school and to go on to higher education or wherever they're going after that, that it's, you know, it's so terrible <laughs> if your classroom isn't fair for their, you know, they're robbing them of their one chance. So that's a very important thing for teachers. And that's like, was a big takeaway for me. But then, um, I had some really amazing professors in my program um, and some really amazing female professors who put a gendered lens on education. And we read a lot of studies and, you know, you don't really have to read a study. All you have to do is just observe a classroom environment to see the difference in how males and females are treated in group environments and in educational environments due to sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's inherent bias. Sometimes it's cultural bias. Um, on the part of the students or the parents or the educators, but it is there. And once someone wakes you up to that, you never stop seeing it. <laughs> Basically, you can't unsee <laughs> what's yeah. happening. And so I have always been a hardcore nerd <laughs> and super into pop culture. And it's just been a big part of my life, a big part of my friend group. And my mom, I grew up going to Star Trek conventions because my mom is like a hardcore Trekkie. <laughs> and um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> that, <laughs> and so um, I think like, that just like my upbringing and, you know, my, my passions then combined with my education and then my experience as an educator, it kind of manifested in this awareness of how women and girls are perceived in pop culture. It's kind of this perfect storm. Okay. So coming forward to today, who are your ideal people that you want to interface with girls, our heroes and What's your highest goal for them? I love that question. I have been thinking a lot about that, actually, and just branching out because it's been 
teachers, I think, not all the time, and the best teachers don't behave this way, but we can tend to be an island where we do all of our lesson planning and, you know, our classroom is up to, like, the classroom management is up to us and it's this sacred environment. We have these wonderful relationships with our students and families. Um, And it can be a little insular, especially my experience being an art educator. I didn't, you know, a lot of my experience, I didn't have a team. It was just kind of me (laughs) doing my thing. Whereas the, uh, you know, the math teachers had their team and things like that. Um, so I, this project has been pretty insular. Uh, this last year um, at Denver Comic-Con, I had a full-on panel where I did invite people to uh, participate, women who I really respect within the Denver community. And they all came from media backgrounds. Some of them were media creators and some of them were more leaders within like youth mentors and leaders within the nonprofit and education world who just were super nerds like me. Um, So we had similar perspectives and that was so empowering. Um, I think it was for them. I mean, they'll, they'll have to speak to that, but for me to just see to see this worldview expand and for it to apply to a similar environment was really great. So as far as who I want to interface with and how large, like, or how big my expectations are, like where, where I want to push this. Um, I, I started a YouTube channel. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen it. It's awesome. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, it's Girls Are Heroes, at, you know, on YouTube, and uh, which has been kind of a funny place to go because uh, YouTube, I think for most people, they don't think of education when they think of YouTube. However, there is a very growing um, popu- you know, population of people who do use um, YouTube for education, and that's where this channel that I've started definitely sits. And I, if that is an effort to, um, it's not necessarily to get views. Eventually I would like to see that content pushed out, you know, at a, to very high levels, like all across the internet, that would be great. But the real purpose of why I started it is because in these, uh, comic cons and in these workshop environments, uh, there's a limited time. You just, there's so much to say and there you have to condense it down and you're doing activities with people and that, you know, cuts into your time. And I have way more to give than 50 minutes worth of content. So hopefully I can do these video essays about what I'm trying to say on YouTube and that can be referenced to within the workshops and panels. So people, if they want to know more curious can go there and learn more and kind of get more depth to these topics and then they can share them out and kind of expand it. And there's a barrier to entry as well in conventions. They're very expensive to attend. Mm-hmm. And YouTube, if you have an internet connection or if you're at a library, uh, there is a techno- technological barrier, but if you can overcome that, it's just, it's basically a free source 
um, of education and of knowledge. It's a repository. So it just, it fit really well, even though the culture of YouTube didn't necessarily fit well mm-hmm. with what I'm trying to do. Cause, um, you know, the internet isn't always super kind to women and girls, especially in geek or pop culture realms that's changing significantly, but, um, it's been an interesting, uh, interesting couple months navigating that not um not that anything negative has happened it's just that's kind of the environment that you're signing up for when you go onto youtube so that that has been a big goal is to get this started and i'm kind of you know i'm in the middle of that journey right now and um after that i've already uh have been speaking with, um, some people in my network. We ideally, um, we're working on this right now. We want to get a book club started, a comic book club started where we start book clubs inside of comic book shops. And the book clubs are female and kid and family friendly. And that is um, an effort to partner with kind of ground zero in this um, nerd pop culture realm and to make traditionally non-welcoming spaces welcoming for these populations. And uh, I'm really excited about that. We're uh, working on getting kits together that people can download online where it'll just give them step-by-step instructions on how to start these book clubs and promote them in their uh, local comic book store and how to partner with their local comic book providers. And that um, we're going to be next year, 2018, we're going to be hosting pilot workshops and book clubs and see how it goes. And we'll be posting about that, making videos about that. And I have a really good friend of mine, Ariel Kay, who she actually works for the U.S. uh, Forestry (laughs) Department. Um, But I met her through Girl Scouts and she is just a powerhouse uh, feminist and I love her to death. And she's so smart. And so she's going to be spearheading this uh, initiative to get these book club kits together. Um, so we have that. And, um, with the YouTube channel, I have these video essays, but I also want to interview, um, people who I admire and just get some more exposure and create some more community around that. So I already have my first interview booked in January and it's kind of like what you're doing here on this podcast, only on camera. And, um, it's going to be with my good friend, Demi Harvey, who she is a woman of color and so is her mother. And Demi was on the panel with me this year at Denver Comic-Con and it was her first Comic-Con experience. And, um, it was just so incredible, um, sharing that experience with her. It was my sixth one in Denver and I've been to cons, you know, since I was a kid, but just having like a first timer is always really fun. And then her mom came to our panel and stayed for like the entire rest of the day and night. And she is a uh, pop culture lover, but she had never been to a con. So 
they, I think, um, as women of color and as a mother daughter duo and as first time Comic Con people, um, I am so excited to interview them and just, you know, have a forum for them to talk about their experiences. And so it'll be a series um, of kind of mini sods, like mini episodes, interviewing these people. And then um, that's kind of where it's at for now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- somewhere on your website, it says that you hoped this can be useful for parents and teachers. Am I right? Yes. How do you imagine? Yeah. How do you imagine that happening? Well, I ho- I'm hoping that the YouTube thing will be helpful for parents and teachers. I definitely, within the videos, I definitely speak to my audience like they are parents and educators, which I think is a bit of a switch for some uh, of YouTube's main content where they're always pushing towards a youth market or a millennial market, which has a ton of value. But mine are specifically the language and just the the writing and the subject matters matter is all geared towards um, people who maybe don't know what's going on in pop culture for whatever reason, but they see the children in their lives or the teens or the younger people in their lives engaging with this material. And they're just curious about what's happening there. So that's definitely a lens. And I get a lot of my inspiration just working in the past with kids and families. Media is so powerful. It's a huge force in our lives. And we're increasingly living in a visual media-driven culture in the United States, at least, and in lots of places around the world. And I think that, you know, The kids within preschool and elementary school right now, they're growing up inside, and teens, they're growing up inside such a media-driven world. And that's it to the point where it's a language, it's a form of communication. You can't look at, you know, an application or an app like Snapchat and not think that kids are just communicating solely through visual images and videos right now. And... So I think that can be a really hard task for educators and parents and families to keep up on that while they're just trying to do their jobs or raise their kids and do their jobs. And uh, they have their own interests that they're trying to garner and keep on top of, let alone what their kids are into. And um, I'm hoping that what I'm doing through either the workshops and panels, um, or, you know, the book clubs or through this YouTube initiative that they're kind of quick little entry points to catch, uh, educators and parents and families up on what's happening in popular culture. Um, I'm a firm believer that, media companies and media houses and, you know, uh, repositories like uh, Marvel Comics and DC Comics who are doing these big budget action blockbusters that have platforms and Disney who owns Marvel now, um, who have platforms well beyond what, you know, a single issue comic book has, you know, these are getting pushed out. These movies are getting pushed out worldwide, that they don't always have the best interests of the youth market that they're pushing towards. 
at heart. Um, and they don't always think through their representation and they definitely have commodified representation in a certain way. They've commodified what it means to be female. They've commodified what it means to be male. And, um, sometimes that can be really empowering and sometimes it's not. And sometimes that can be wrapped up in the same movie that a kid in your life is totally obsessed with. And how do you unpack that? And it's my hope that, um, I can make that a little simpler, ideally. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like understanding and awareness are two of the baseline takeaways from your work that people can really raise their level of, of consciousness around bias and become more aware of their own selves and of others. All right. Can I ask you a fun one for me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if I and anyone listening to this is bearing witness to the hero's journey of Darcy Clausen, <laughs> and you're writing it, right? Yeah. Um, what has this, what has this character had to overcome in her life to, that's become a strength that, that she's now uh, creating this amazing work from? Oh my goodness. Um, two things jump, three things, three things (laughs) jump to mind. Do it. Uh, the first is just being kind of an outspoken uh, female voice and uh, feminist voice within the realm of geek culture and pop culture. I haven't really experienced much pushback um, because people at the end of the day tend to be just the nicest people, (laughs) especially in a workshop scenario where you're standing in front of them. Um, And my platform's not that large yet, but it's, it's intimidating uh, because you, I feel like every day you just see women getting torn down within the geek realm for having an opinion. So, um, it wasn't so much personal experience with that, but fear of that, um, was a big thing to overcome. That was a big panic moment, uh, before my first panel. And then everyone of course was delightful (laughs) because, um, you know, the internet does not really reflect real life. And, um, that was a big one. That was a big fear. Uh, another one was I don't social media like at all Mm. and that, and I never really have. And that has been a holdover from just being an educator. Facebook was not really a thing. It was still a college project basically when I, uh, was going through my second year of my undergrad and And learning to be a teacher. So uh, I started teaching and was pushed into the public school realm as an educator right as the rise of social media was happening. And I just saw a lot of really negative effects on education and a lot of really negative effects on educator-student relationships and parent-student-educator relationships to where it was just easier for me to step away altogether and not engage. Um, being a part of a nonprofit world and environment, um, social media is incredibly empowering for nonprofits because it's 
free essentially. And it's such a powerful way to get your message out there. Instead of having a giant marketing team, your nonprofit can have one really savvy social media network expert, you know, and so I have since switched and I've overcome that through my work in nonprofit that these are actually really positive tools if used wisely. And I think that social media in general, since my, my initial fears of it has really matured and become such a great tool for communication. Um, so I think that's, uh, one of the things that I had to overcome. And then, um, I think just getting up in front of peers and talking was a surprising one for me. I'm used to getting up in front of kids. That's not a problem. Teens, even like 20 somethings, no, no worries. But peer to peer, that was more intense than I was anticipating, but it got a lot easier over time. And now I'm really enjoying working peer to peer. Um, and I, uh, I kind of revel in the idea that I can work with a toddler. I can work with, you know, someone in their fifties and we can do it in the same classroom setting. And, um, it's actually become such a great strength once I got over that peer to peer, uh, fear. (laughs) Yeah. For watching your story unfold, what, what's the greatest message that you hope, um, people and, and especially women will learn from your story? Um, I, hmm, not positive what they should take away with this, except I guess the, the most positive thing that I can think of right now, that would be a great takeaway would be activating your network and finding your tribe and as trite as that sounds, but it's true. If you, if you follow your passions and you go at it with, you know, good intentions and, you know, the right mindset where you're trying to help people, you will find people to help support you. Um, when I first started teaching and stepping into the classroom, I had no idea I would end up here. Mm. It was um, collecting comic books and going to superhero movies and, you know, to cons. That was just a hobby. It had nothing to do with my classroom work. But the more that those two worlds started blending together and the more crossover that I saw, I kept meeting more and more people that share that same worldview, more educators, more nonprofit professionals, more families and parents and kids. And, um, it's become this great moment in time right now where also, you know, I feel like media in general and, the United States in general is just becoming more awakened to superheroes. It's definitely part of our cultural conversation right now. And um, I think that when you just follow your passions, you will find those people and they'll support you in ways that you never even anticipated that they could. And it's, yeah, that would be one of the biggest takeaways. I hope. I love it. And that's been largely resonant with my experience as well in trying to create something. Okay. Last question is what is your hope for this generation of school aged girls, adolescents, young women? I have so many hopes, (laughs) so many wishes for them. 
I would say that in such a media focused environment, like I said, this is very much a part of how they're learning to communicate with each other, whether it be they be their male peers or their female peers or everyone in between. It's just how they're being raised now. Um, so I would say that my hope for them is that they get to control that conversation and get a seat at that, an equal seat at that table more. So the the way, the tools that they're using to communicate with each other and the visual imagery has more of a female perspective on it. I would like to see more women directors. I would like to see more women in politics. I would like to see more girls grow up to, you know, to pursue these technical vocations where they're the ones that are creating the media. And um, we're starting to see that a little more um, now, thanks to Wonder Woman, woohoo. But um, I would like them to look back on this Wonder Woman time and think that it's really weird and strange that it was such a big deal that we had a superhero franchise that blew it out of the park and box office numbers featuring a female cast and a female protagonist and a female director and crew. And um, I hope that that just becomes normal. That's my hope for them. Is there a specific offering or invite or reference that you want to add just to the part of the interview? Um, yes, actually, I would love people to check me out on YouTube <laughs> and check the Girls Are Heroes uh, project out or channel out on YouTube. Um, that and just spread the word. Um, the reason why I'm pushing towards that medium and that uh, form of communication right now is because it's so easy to share across platforms. You can post it on Facebook, you can throw it on your Twitter, you can you know, embed it in your own websites. You can text it to people that you think should be watching it. So, uh, that's where I would like them to go right now. Cause, uh, for the rest of 2017 and into the beginning of 2018, that's where the efforts are going to be. Darcy, thank you so much. And thanks so much for coming on the show and for sharing who you are and what you're doing and for doing all the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. It's really exciting to be here and it was awesome talking. Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> to learn more about Darcy Clausen and Girls Are Heroes, go to YouTube and search Girls Are Heroes, where you can subscribe to Darcy's episodes. For more info, go directly to Darcy's website, girlsareheroes.com. My question for you, the listener, is this. What is already in your awareness or skill set that seems obvious to you? What have you mastered that you might take for granted when it comes to making impact in your world? To find out more about the world of Supergivers, head over to supergivers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. If you'd like to practice giving towards this show, please tell someone you know to listen in or consider subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Also, feel free to write a review of this show, which is incredibly helpful for our visibility and for my own learning as a host and interviewer. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Supergivers podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll pass the giving along. <laughs>